Hey everybody, we are Robert, Martin, and Francis, and this is Snakes and Otters, pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. Welcome back, listeners. Thanks for being with us here every week at Snakes and Otters. Now, I'm Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. That's the way we always have to open. We don't so, have to do it in that order. You could, uh, you could have started. I don't know, it doesn't feel right when we don't well, open it, that it way. Kind of has become yeah. the way we do things now. Yeah, that's all right. You could say you could start with that. I don't know, felt felt feels weird not to do it that way. That's right. Anyways, so this is one of our our heroes episodes, and so this one is um, you know he, not an action hero, not that kind of hero. This is to me um, the man, kind of man you look up to. For what he's accomplished, because it's an admirable thing. He he did good. He done good with his life. Mm-hmm. Um, the man I'm talking about is Thomas Aquinas. Mm-hmm. Now, Thomas Aquinas was born in the 13th century, so he is not a modern man by any sense of the, of the imagination. He's not some probably a lot of our listeners have heard of, which is a shame. At best, you might know the name, right? But you probably can't go much deeper than that. Exactly. So he lived. Basically 50 years. He did not live long, which makes the amount of writing that he put out and the impact that he had phenomenal yeah. when you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just a little background. He was an Italian Dominican friar. He's uh, well-known as a philosopher, obviously. He's a Catholic priest and a doctor of the church. There are only, uh, I think it's now 35, isn't it? That's about, sounds right, yeah. yeah. Uh, 35 doctors of, the churches, uh, doctors of the church. And a doctor of the church is basically recognizing somebody that was such a giant intellect or had such a giant impact on thinking, whether it be Catholic thought in particular or thinking in general. Mm-hmm. Although Aquinas did both. Right. So yeah, he really gets it. So he was very influential in his time and for centuries later on. Well, yeah, uh, he was well known at the time, too. Which and is, he was. You know, we, we think of giants, intellectual giants, only coming to their own after they're dead. He didn't. He right. Was, he was a, and he followed he some giants. He lived yes. in an age of intellectual giants in the church, yet he's the one that's remembered. Right. Uh, one of his content, actually, what his mentor, I believe it was, was uh, St. Albert the Great. Mm-hmm. And he's called the Great. But people know Thomas. He was not Thomas the Great. Uh, yeah. One yeah. of the uh, one of his other uh, contemporaries, I believe, was John Dunn Scotus. Yes, who was a Franciscan. Who was a Franciscan, um, and he had, you know, he was well known in his time. Not so well known now, except as a proof, uh, a theological proof that we don't need to get into here. And so he he had a, he was influenced by and influenced others uh, to a great degree, as we said in the show prep. He was one of the last men it was possible. Uh, I don't have an exact cutoff date that could probably know most if not all of what could be known uh, you know as far as a learned person he, was, mean he knew every street and road in every town he was v'ger he, he was, was v'ger yes. oh that's good <laughs> that's, that's very good that's, that's right. right. but he didn't come back to, to destroy the world if he couldn't find the creator start check the motion picture just in case you missed it yeah but he they could know all that was knowable at at the time right that's right yeah. right yeah. that's that's the the and how important an intellectual did. Yeah, as uh, you know, the type of scholarship that you're talking about here, mm-hmm. and it's not so much that he knew a lot of stuff because you can know a lot of stuff and it'd be worthless, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we know all we all we know all kinds of people like that, and we occasionally fall into that ourselves. Lots <laughs> of useless information. <laughs> I have a ton of it. So, but what made him important was the effect that he had on uh, people and things, thought uh, systems that came after him. Uh, you know, he's a foremost 
philosopher of his time. Mm -hmm. He was uh, probably the father of reason in the world, uh, you know, post uh, fall of Rome. Right. Uh, he is not known for that outside of the church, but the age of reason really tried to follow his principles. They failed it horribly right. when it went uh, very, uh, uh, very ugly. But his influence is just incredible. He believed in reason, uh, not above all else, because he was a Catholic priest, obviously. Yeah, right. But he believed that through reason, through God's gift of reason to man, we could know just about everything. We might not be able to know that Jesus Christ was the Son of God through reason. That's revelation. Right. That's something different. But he supremely believed in natural law. Right. Uh, he believed in things that were universal goods and truths. Some things are self-evident. Some things are self-evident. And even those things are not self-evident, you can reason your way to. Right. Right. And so he was very big on that. He was also great in the sense that, you know, we talk about everybody's, well, maybe not everybody, but we've all heard of the theological virtues and the cardinal virtues, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He came up with those. Yeah. Faith That's incredible. Faith, hope, and charity. He was the guy that put those together. He's well, the, technically, I think St. Paul put those together. Yes, but But he pulled it out for, for he's his virtues. He firmly was. defined them. Yes. Yeah. As Paul part of those, those seven vir cardinal virtues, you know, there's the faith, hope, and charity, but there's also... Um, where where's it in our notes uh, here? Prudence, temperance, justice, and fortitude. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. I found it just as you said it. So those virtues do not require the existence of God. Not at all. But they certainly demonstrate the existence of That's God right. yes. for those of us that are believers. Now, these are things that he thought were universally true. Yeah. And the theological virtues, he would have said, are universally true too. Also through reason. Because most everybody believes in something. Right. That's faith. Even those who don't believe in anything have to have faith that there's nothing. You know, right. they don't like to hear that, but <laughs> honestly, I think that yeah. you know, I think that's true. It's very well put, sir. I like that. Um, you know, hope. Everybody hopes for something better for some, you know, certainly for their children, if not for themselves. Okay. Charity or love, depending on your tra translation. Right. You know, often when we talk about love in the Bible, we mean charity. But by charity, we don't mean just giving to the poor. Right. We mean caring for our fellow man because they're our fellow man. Sure. Compassion, kindness, all of those things are subsumed into right. charity. Almost right. every culture everywhere has recognized all seven of these, the faith, hope, and charity, the prudence, temperance, justice, and fortitude. These are all good things. That's right. Naturally so. Naturally so. Yeah. You don't and, have to debate that. Right. They form, I think, one of the common foundations of practically every society that we know. Dare we say civilizations? Yes. Yeah, I mean, so I would use civilizations here in society interchangeably. I would yeah. say, I will not name them because that would get in, be getting into political things. I think you could probably point to some civiliz civilizations, some cultures that would not agree with some of these and certainly do not express them uh, as a matter of course in their right. uh, existence. But like I said, they're the exceptions. Some of them may yeah. even be large, but they are the exceptions in history. Uh, mm -hmm. And even their own texts will uh, sometimes, will, will usually profess these in some way, even if they're not acted on. Yeah, yeah so, they at least recognize they are good, even if they don't practice them. Or well. they don't interpret it the way we do. Right. Uh, probably that's a better way to put it. Yeah. They're universally held, but not everybody interprets them the same way. Yeah. 
Right. What is that? What are these things? That's where we. Well, oh, right. Well, even in our country, we could argue that everybody believes charity is a good thing. Sure. But how do you express how your charity? You express yeah, justice. Justice is demanded what is by justice? everybody. Ah, but it's very different depending on what side of the <laughs> well where you're at. Loaded words like fairness. Right. Well, that's great. Uh, yeah. yeah. And for me, yeah. I, I've said this before, and I've used it uh, uh, in various places, and that is that given the choice between justice and mercy, I'll take mercy every Absolutely time. Absolutely every single time. Uh, which mercy, you can say, is tied into faith, hope, and charity. Yeah. So anyways, I even touch on his uh, influence in politics and society. There's a lot there, too. Right. But I see Martin over here is raising up his glass, so it's a good time to break so, and let yeah, other people talk. Yeah, I was just going to, um, before I took another sip of my Woodford Reserve Double Oak that you brought for us tonight, That's which right. is, whoa, it's great, it, isn't it? it? it yeah, good. I'm drinking it too. And so get yourself a snortful. I was just going to say that um, as a heathen and uh, general outsider of everything, <laughs> That's uh, a good way to put it. this is not a person that was in my pantheon, but I'm very moved by your enthusiasm. I'm, again, like what we talked about with Thomas More, I'm so glad... To see you guys personalize mm -hmm. these things, and and I'm very, I'm just I'm loving your enthusiasm, Robert, about all of this, oh, and, and and so when I was doing a little bit of research to prep for this, I was to say, are you learning something on this? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah. outside your outside your Out, experience. Yeah, it's it's outside the the wheelhouse, but you know he's the guy that's synthesizing Aristotelian thought, right, with. Catholic teaching, yeah. or church teaching, uh, you know. At the time, that's it. Yeah. That's it. And being this exponent of intellectual inquiry into the faith and into the world at large. Right, yeah. It's not uh, it, it's, it's He's the guy that's saying you can use your reason, you can use your senses to discover the world. Yes. To, to trust your eyes to trust that there are things that happen in this natural world mm -hmm. that are real. Stuff's not magic, you know. Right? That, that, yeah, that, that that's right. It, yeah, it's a statement out of the wilderness of all of these things that go on in this. It's out of the darkness of paganism and superstition that he is dragging us. Because make no mistake, in the twelve hundreds where he's living, that stuff is very much it's alive. It's still the dark ages. Oh, you it's betcha. Still a dark age. He's putting, he's putting intellectual inquiry in the state of reason on his back and lugging it out of the dark ages practically alone. Let me, let me add something to that because I, I object only... And I understand why you're calling it the dark ages because culturally that's the term for the yes, that's right. Yes, that's it's the easily recognizable term. term. I just want to lay the context for the time he's in. Because <clears throat> yeah, he wasn't yes. a unique light. Right? Yeah. So when we think about uh, what was really going on in Europe at the time, you know, we are some 750 years removed from the fall of Rome in the West. Right, and Augustine. And, and, and Augustine, Augustine slightly longer than for Augustine, yes. Right. Who was probably the, the person that, uh, after Aristotle, he stands on sh the shoulders of Augustine. Uh, yeah, they're very, uh, very, very similar much. ways. Um, but he would have been trained at university. There were universities mm -hmm. in Europe right. That's correct. Yep. For, for several centuries at this point. Right. So learning had not stopped. Uh, now, I think you could make an argument that uh, because of uh, 
insularism, you know, where we turn in on ourselves. Right. Uh, yeah. Partially because the world went dark after the fall of Rome. That's where we do get that, that term. Yeah, this is post-Dark um, Ages. No, you would say... Well, again, it's a very nebulous it's, way. To, some people will say the Dark Ages are from the fall of Rome to the Renaissance. Yeah, but that's that's not that's, that's not a thousand years. That's that's the Middle Ages. Uh, I get that. That's not. I would call this the Middle Ages. Yeah, that, uh, that's that, kind of that, where I'm guessing you're going here. Is dark, the dark ages, ages are more kind of over with. the first couple of centuries where you where society in Europe is reorganizing itself. That's right. Uh, nations are are coming into being uh, where they're really kind of straightening that. By the time you get the Holy Roman Empire, I think we're really moving into. So you can say the Dark Ages are up to say Charlemagne. Give or take, not yeah. a bad way. Probably, probably a little bit longer. Yeah. Probably a little bit longer because because uh, the, the Holy Roman Empire fractured right after he died. <laughs> well, right, yeah. Uh, but every empire does, you know. Yeah, that's um, right. But my, but my point is though, there's a lot of stuff going on intellectually. He's not. Um, he's uh, not alone. He's not alone, and uh, but he is also but doing he is, what he you're the, saying. He, he is, is the foremost guy. He is the foremost guy. And certainly, we remember him that way. Mm-hmm. But he is also that guy. That he did put intellectual curiosity on his back and carried it. I would posit this, and I didn't even think about this before uh, before the the show started. Preach it, brother. Preach it. I would posit that he is the father of the Renaissance. Oh, absolutely. We were kind of talking about that around that, but we didn't yes. actually get there. But it's exactly right. Uh, that which we kind of when we talked about Voltaire, it's kind of the end. Mm-hmm. He's the this, beginning. He's the beginning. That's he's exactly beginning. it. Because he 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 said things that nobody else had thought about, and everybody goes, "Oh, yeah, of course." And uh, we we kind of get distracted, I think, easily with him because of his his great work, the Summa Theologica, which is very much all about this, but it's also all about God in particular. It's theology in particular. We forget that is it is an exercise in reason. Yes. It's the example that proves the system that he lays down. I think one of the reasons I call him the father of the Renaissance is this. <clears throat> he's one of the first, certainly he's remembered uh, for, even though it's not the thing he is remembered for, it's there if you look. Yeah. He is putting the individual forward. Not alone. Right. Not as an individualist, not as a humanist. Right. Part of the greater whole. But he's reminding the church and society, because remember, this is a time of divine right, uh, age of kings, right? All right, absolutely. Reminding those who have power that the individual is still important and still has worth, because in this time, both inside the church and out, that was not a well-understood or believed concept. Well, yeah, feudalism mm-hmm. reigns at exactly. this time, which is by definition not about that. It's about using individuals for their... Feudalism is another name for serfdom. That's exactly it. I mean, essentially. Yeah. yeah. That's right. You are, you are indentured to exactly. your overlord. Yeah. He didn't ne- your overlord didn't necessarily own you, but you couldn't do anything without his approval. That's right. So this, and it's very, when you talk, when you talk about having these cardinal virtues and these theological virtues, these are things that people possess because they are human beings. It's enshrined in the person of humanity. Yes. Uh, as Augustine Nobody, put it. Yeah, exactly. Natural law is written on our hearts. Yeah. Our hearts burn or was our, our hearts are restless lord until, until they, they rest, rest in, in you. you right because that's the the recognition that there is something eternally true naturally true uh-huh. and we seek it and you it know? had been forgotten up to this point uh in often in yeah yeah, yeah because I mean, with with augustine i mean his writings survived 
But but there was a period in this. I think you could call it part the, of the, the Dark, Dark Ages, Ages. Yeah, where a lot of writing was suppressed. That's correct. Well, Aristotle. Think about the movie Name of the Rose. The whole thing with the the library. Yeah, I doubt that's an you know come you know comes from history, but it illustrates. It, it, what, what did Dan rather say? It's, it has truthiness to it. <laughs> yeah. Know? Okay. Uh, you know, in the sense that, yeah, it was it was a story about knowledge that was suppressed because those that had power thought it was dangerous. Sure. Whereas Aquinas would say knowledge is not dangerous. It, it never it never can be. How you use it can be dangerous. That's right. But you know that's obviously yeah. true. Yeah. But knowledge in and of itself is a good. You know, knowing that we can make. Either an atomic bomb or a nuclear reactor that powers an entire city, you know the knowledge to do that is good. Now making the bomb and using it is bad, right? But again, the it's knowledge, same knowledge or derived from the same thing, right? But to two different ends. Knowledge is morally neutral. Yes, only acts can be evil. Correct. Not people. Not knowledge. Right. Not objects. And not objects. Yeah. And only that's, acts. And that is uh, a revolutionary for him. Nobody's talking like that before him. Objects can be profane because they can be, in the sense that they can um, uh, be crafted in a way that mocks what is good and true. Yeah, they, they carry an intention by, with yes. them, potentially. Uh, yes. Uh, but yes, but the objects themselves, in and of themselves, are not evil uh, in, in that sense. Yeah, profane and evil are two different, it's a right. nuance that's... Right. Uh, it's cause that's important. If yeah. I don't attach any, uh, say, pagan... Uh, value to a statue of Mary, yeah. then it's not evil. Mm-hmm. But if I'm a good old Baptist boy, mm-hmm. then I think that statue of Mary is evil because right. I think that you know the Papists are worshiping it. Well, to, to quote John Melius, it's pagan idolatry. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that and they're all being used. That's right. That they're all being used. So, anyways, I've talked a lot. That's okay. Again, I'm I'm so moved by your enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this is terrific stuff. I gotta tell you, it's more than I thought I had in me going into this episode. (laughs) Aquinas is so tough because there's so much that he wrote, and we're not gonna get into his quotes because we just don't have time. And I mean, just one itself is an episode sometimes. Uh, So much, I mean, the Summa Theologica, uh, it's kind of like the writings of Augustine was kind of also what was like the writings of of Augustine and Aquinas that nobody can really get their arms around them. Yeah. They're that profound. There's that much there. But that's, that's what you were bringing out, though. Yeah. Is this is the stuff that grabs us. Yeah. This is, you know, that we're... Again, guys, we're not three philosophy graduates here. No. I got a couple of business degrees and an IT guy. Art degree. Art degree. Right. Although, in fairness, we did have both philosophy and theology as undergrads. Yeah. We did. We oh, did. Yeah, that's right. Liberal, but liberal arts. A little bit more. We <laughs> have. You know, since then. That's right. Yeah, but, but it's, it's a liberal arts education. Thank yes. you. Thank you, Bellarmine University. College. 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 I know. I know. I'm just, just so, kind of putting both parts it, out there. This is the stuff that grabs us, and then we take it, and, and we're trying to show you why it moves us so much. I think he's it, one of those guys that we unintentionally... Try to imitate. Mm-hmm. Ah. Okay, you know, yeah. Because, like him, you know, we recognize there are things that are objectively true. That's right. right? You know? Yes. And we're trying to make a reasoned intellectual inquiry or find a an <clears throat> engine for that inquiry into, like you said, a giant pile of, of this wonderful stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so... 
Absolutely, he's a hero. Absolutely, he's a hero. Well, yeah, because you know he. Uh, it's not enough to just kind of sit there and go, "Oh, isn't that nice?" and go on. You know, that's what he's railing against in many ways. He's saying, "No, life doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to accept things at face value. You have the God-given ability to go further than you realize." You're often just not doing it, and you know that was true in twelve in the twelve hundreds. It's also true today, boys. Well, one of the things are people, yeah, exactly. People, people. Well, we, yeah, we've we've discovered that in our in our uh, podcast. I forget which one it was, but we've talked about that. Yeah. People are people. I don't care when and where you're talking. That's about. exactly right. Yes, the hum, human <clears throat> person has not yet been perfected, uh, and I don't think. Yeah, well, we believe it's not possible in this life. Right. Uh, the interesting thing, though. Uh, I mean, one of the interesting—the interesting yeah. thing. Yeah, one of, of the things, interesting things about him uh, that is not just admirable because of you know the the, the using reason to, uh, to to know truth, even to know God, mm-hmm. is when you when you take the the religious philosophy aspect out of it mm-hmm. and look at some of the more practical stuff. He wrote on uh, a economic system that we would recognize as a market economy. This is in the 1200s, in the 13th century. In the midst of feudalism. In the midst of feudalism. This is something that most people uh, would recognize as a good thing. The ability of the person Mm -hmm. to uh, make a living with his own uh, own person, with his own property, Mm -hmm. and to buy, sell, trade, he probably would have phrased it as... Uh, in order to do better for himself and his family, that's uh, you know probably not the exact words he used. Sure, but essentially but... Uh, that would describe a market economy. Now, not capitalism the way we talk about it today, because that's a it, really it's different. Capitalism has a market economy aspect to it. Right. So does distributism, which right. is uh, the economic theory that uh, that Chesterton put forth. And actually, distributism is, distributism is more akin to what we recognize or what we think we call capitalism. In a sense, it likes small businesses. Most Americans, we like the little guy. Yeah. You know? We rail against the big corporations all the time. But that's the kind of thing that he would look at. Because to him, a big corporation would have been unthinkable. Right. Uh, dare I say, unreasonable. <laughs> Ooh, very Ooh, good, sir. Very good. I like that. Uh, yeah. So, you know, this is some centuries before uh, a market economy took hold again with the Renaissance. Yeah, it's, it's, he almost has no point of reference for this. He's reasoned it out. He has reasoned it out. Yes. yes. He's, he's taking... He has learned Eric. how to make a cannon. No, wait, that's different. That's yes. Star Trek. That's yeah. right. He's, he's taken Aristotelian principles, moved that into an understanding of natural law... That's right. ...that guards... Our ability to engage in a free exchange. Yes, and I like the way because you, you stopped there. A free exchange of whatever. Of whatever, ideas, goods, doesn't matter. You have three baskets. I have one spear. I need baskets. You need spears. Let's trade. Or I have three baskets. Take one, fill it up, and bring it back, and you can have another one when you when you're done. You know. I, what, you yeah. Know. Whatever works. Exactly. Whatever is you know mutually acceptable. And also is seen this, as a good. Yes. yes. And it's, it's well, protected as part of natural law. Presuming, yeah. you know, because mutually acceptable... Uh, trade in, in trade. Well, 
That's right. That's, well, even so, I mean, you, you make the argument, uh, presuming that there are you know certain conditions met, because obviously, yeah. you have mutually acceptable trade that still is not. Well, that's what we are human slavery, for yes, example. That's exactly right. what I was thinking. I thought you were. Yeah. Um, he also uh, one of the show notes that we had uh, talked about uh, some of his philosophy uh, can be seen at the heart of libertarianism. In, in, in many ways, that's true, but I think it's the extreme example. Uh, yeah. In the sense that, you know, to him, uh, because the individual had more worth than uh, most contemporary society for him would have thought, that sounds very libertarian to us. Right. Uh, that's, and, a, that's a modern interpretation of him. Yeah, it's really hard to take the 13th century and plug it into modern political parties. So. It, yeah, you, uh, you just can't do that. Um, but they, what they do share, though, is the sense that the individual does have worth yeah. and that the individual okay. conscience should not be violated. Now, this is something the church still teaches today. Absolutely. Now, we've always taught that. We've not always been very good at uh, supporting it. Mm-hmm. Or but even articulating it. Or articulating it. He does a great job with that. But, we do, but that is something that's always been at the heart of mm-hmm. uh, the church because faith requires assent of the Correct. world. Correct. Informed assent. Yeah. You know, you can't force somebody to be a Jew or a Christian. Right. You know? Even though it's been done. Even though it's been done. Yes. Uh, it's, technically, we'd say, well, that doesn't really count. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. It's, a, it's um, the exception that proves the rule. So the state had certain authority that should be respected, but the individual had autonomy that should be respected as well. Most modern 21st century people recognize that, well, duh, that's a... Of course that's true. It's self-evident to us. But it was not at the time. 800 years ago, it was not. That's right. It was revolutionary at the time. Exactly. Now, he would have said that a monarchy would have been the best form of government, but he would not have had any experience with much else directly, anything else directly. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not really sure how much he would have been familiar with how democracy in Athens would have worked or how a republic would have worked in the Senate. He certainly had no experience of a modern representative democracy. No. I I doubt he would still say than a modern representative democracy. I mean, that a monarchy. Or, yeah, I doubt he would say that a modern representative democracy would be better than a monarchy. Well, if, if reason is the essential element here, uh, most of the people, the common people who are serfs, by the way, have no ability to self govern because they have no education in his yes. mind. Uh, they're not using, they're not allowed to use their reason as they should use it. And that's kind of why he would have to go with... And also, let's not forget where his bread was buttered. He knew that. He could certainly not advocate a revolutionary form of political government that would that would just get him thrown right out. I think, though, most church philosophers who come from, an, from a, a church background, I mean, of course I speak Catholic church, um, would go with that. Mm-hmm. Um, primarily because... But it also presumes just as a, a viable representative democracy presumes, a good and moral person. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which, if you are using your reason rightly, you should automatically come to be a good and moral person. And I think most people, when they think about it, even if you have to explain the terms to them, mm-hmm. would say, well, okay, yeah. So you're saying he's Hobbesian before Hobbes? Maybe Hobbes is a, is a Quinan before yeah, he knew it. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking so. I'm thinking yeah, because Hobbes is uh, you know premise of the enlightened despot, you know the enlightened you know the Leviathan that was run by the uh, the good uh, absolutist. That's that's he's taken right from Aquinas. Well, I think Aquinas probably 
uh, would have more limits than an absolutist. Well, that's correct. Yeah, it's you know, absolute is probably not the best word for that. Uh, well, but probably for Hobbes, that probably is well, closer. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, he, but not yeah. for Aquinas. Yeah, because um, again, if he, if he's really the father of the Renaissance, he would not be for any kind of an absolutist. Right. Yeah, Hobbes kind of went a little bit longer. Uh, he 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 was an extremist in many ways that he took the the argument and took it to its logical extension as far as it would go. I would say that Hobbes would probably, you could probably consider him at the opposite end of the spectrum. Hmm. Because when you think about political philosophy and how societies uh, morph and change, we tend to go from a period of lots and lots of freedom to either uh, ever so uh, slowly more and more control of that freedom or it can also be a sudden control because if there's too much freedom, it's anarchy. Right. Somebody always steps in in the middle of anarchy who is organized. Mm-hmm. Organized man with a gun or sword yeah. is going to organize the anarchists pretty darn quick. Very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, even if it's just to line them up on the wall and stab them or shoot them. You know? So it goes back and forth. When there's too much freedom, you have excess. But when there's too much control, you also have excess in the other direction. And Aquinas, through reason, would have said neither extreme would be good. And most people recognize that. That's right. Yeah, we, we all have a tendency, I think, towards equilibrium. Certainly in nature we do. And moderation, I think, is sometimes... Uh... We, well, we give a lot of lip service to it. Yeah. Um, equilibrium, though, to most people just mean keeping everything the way it is for me. Or it gets better for me. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah. Because for most people, you know, because equilibrium certainly means nothing changes. Right. Now, a lot of people want stuff to change. Right. Um, sometimes they don't think it can, right. so they accept equilibrium well, as it is. Equi- Others want it to change within certain parameters. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, guys, though, as important as he is, he's not without critics. Oh no, no, no. Um, I, I just I was fascinated by, if I understand it correctly, Descartes criticism of Thomist thinking um, you know it's very much built on your senses you can synthesize what you're seeing what you're hearing with your reason Descartes is hey your senses can lie to you Um, you have to use your judgment to exclude pieces of your senses and Therefore, there, there can be this break in this logic to natural law. Oh, yeah, he's saying that uh, reason has its limits. Well, your, your perception has its limits. Right. Yes, yes, that's well, a good word. Your perception well, you, you, has perce- limits. Reason can be flawed by perceptions. It's like an equation without a variable. Um, there's no the way to... system. Yeah. Well, there's, you know, there's no way to, to solve it. I think uh, good, a good Thomist would say, well, duh. That's what reason is, is judgment. It's filling in the, the gaps in your senses. Right. And sure, you know, we might see one thing. Take a colorblind person. You know, they're not going to see all the colors of the spectrum. So to them, something that's red may look green or black or blue or, you know, however their, their color shift goes. Uh Whereas we think objectively it looks a certain way. As a matter of fact, most people, as I understand it, almost no one looks at something and sees exactly the same color. 
That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it, color is very much a um, subjective subjective thing, even if it's only minor. Because think about it: how do you how do you describe color to a blind man? How do you describe sound to a deaf man? That's right. You, you know, you can't. Not 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 truly. So and so yeah, he has a point that perception is not uh, universally the same. But I think where it is not are the outliers. You know. More than two standard deviations outside the bell curve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. I I think that is Descartes' problem uh, in that um, he has problems with the exceptions, and he in he's trying to tear down the rule. Yeah. And well, you know, maybe it goes back to his famous line: "I think, therefore, I am." For him, the thought is more important because yes. thought is how you make your judgment. Yes. Um, and you could, you know, certainly you could make an argument. That there if you don't is, think, then you know, really, what kind of existence do you have? But. Yeah, right. there, is, there is no more need f- when you're constructing natural law than the notion of I exist because I know I exist. Right, which is idolatry uh, from the church perspective when you think about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Because all existence depends upon you. Yep. Yep. Very interesting. Well, very well put, sir. Wow. I like that. Yes. Wow. Maybe we should drink more often. <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah, well, we've been, you know, Swiffer Reserve goes down rather smooth. It, it does. It, it, it does. Like, Whoa, that's some heavy shit, bro. Yeah, it is. We, we like that, though. We mm-hmm. like it heavy. You know, we, we like it like, heavy. That's... We like profundity. How are we doing on time there, uh, Big Dog? Oh, we're about 35 minutes. Oh, we're close. doing great. Yeah, we're fine. That's awesome. Great. Any final thoughts that we want to throw out on this, you know? No, just, again, just I just love these kind of things, even though... It might be a touch beyond my depth and my experience. Experience, it, not depth. You can have. I, I just, I, it's wonderful to hear you guys talk about it, and I hope it encourages people. Like you said, this is. It's not that daunting. Dig into it. Well, that's right. Look yeah. up Aquinas. Look up. The beauty of thoughts. it is, all his writings survive, like Augustine's. Right. I mean, you know, even if you so have important. to go to Wikipedia, it's yeah. a start. It's, it's yeah. that's not bad. That's, it's, yeah, it's, it's in there. Bad. There's a bunch of it in there. Right. Um, Spend some because time because it, it is so important. It is so in-depth and so nuanced and so fruitful. Fecundity. It's yeah. got that fertility with it. It requires time. You really cannot do it justice to casually check it out. Yeah. You really have to decide, I really want to get my arms around this and spend some time with it. And I think you will be enriched by doing so. But it's one of those dots you have to connect if you're exploring this thing we call the human experience. Oh, absolutely. You've got to go from Plato, Aristotle, Augustine, Augustine Aquinas, Aquinas, and beyond. That's correct. It's one of the yeah. dots and, you've got you know, to... dabble a little bit in, in some of the, the, the contemporaries. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. We, we to, and we, we will find that we kind of got some plans laid out in the future. There's yeah. a few others of these philosophers we're going to touch on. Because they're so... When they get it right, when they see something that universal... Or even if they get it wrong. Or even if they get it wrong. And they can be important. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I mean, we may not do heroes on them, but there's stuff out there that's so important to how the world is, what it's become. Correct. That we got to talk about it. we we got to dig into it. Um, We may have to drink a lot to get there, but we'll do that. I'm sure there's plenty of bourbon that can... 
give us the uh, the gasoline for our engines. Yeah, and, yeah. And I mean, I got a gift card to a local liquor store. So, oh yes, so oh fantastic. We, we, we even beyond what we got already on the shelf. We can, there's always more. Always yes. good to experiment. Yes, we you can. know, safely at home. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yes, listeners, don't drink and drive. That's right. That's right. Advice from Martin. That's right. You know, you, you can drink and listen to your podcasts. That's probably a good thing to do. At so, home. <clears throat> at home. <laughs> at home. Well, or at a friend's house. Just not in the car. If you're driving. So, so if you're in the car, leave out the bourbon, but don't leave out the podcast. Exactly. exactly. Bluetooth that phone to your car and oh, yeah. dig into us Best on way. Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and iHeartRadio. Absolutely. So, one of the things I want to wrap up with here. Do it. One of the fascinating things, again, it's one of many. Uh, it was only about 100 years ago, up until then, from the time of Aquinas-ish, uh, I'm sure it took a while for this to become a more universal thing in the church, it was required that you read his stuff, that you learn Thomistic thinking, Yes. that you learn his philosophical way of looking at the church, of life, all of it, uh, for you to, to study. And I don't mean just inside the church. Mm-hmm. You know, Thomistic thinking would have been uh, the the one of, if not the primary uh, schools of thought in any university, right. even after the Protestant Reformation slash rebellion. Yeah. So, and then for about a hundred years, not quite a hundred years, but seventy-five years ish, mm-hmm. maybe to a hundred, because we're not quite two hundred years, I think. Um, uh, Thomistic thinking kind of became uh, passe in. Uh, in society at large, uh, certainly, but uh, even in the church. Uh, probably his decline in society started with the Age of Reason, though. Oddly enough. Yeah, there's an irony for you. Isn't it? Yeah. Uh, because a lot of the Age of Reason uh, throws out what makes Thomistic thinking well-rounded. Uh, because it goes more to that, uh, uh, to Descartes' I know what is real because I know I am. Well, real. the the creeping relativism that exactly. slides in. Yeah, Chesterton says all Aquinas says is common sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's Man. just articulated well. Yep. The heathen just quoted Chesterton. I Isn't love it. That's <laughs> right. That's right. Uh, I tell you, you know, a modern philosopher who is well rooted in Thomistic thinking—that's Chesterton. Well, Chesterton probably deserves his own episode too. Yeah, he probably does. That's right. We hadn't thought he about that. He probably does. All right, so we'll schedule that one for what, like May 2021? Oh, yeah, we're, yeah, we're, 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 yeah, we're, we're way planned out we're here. We're going daily to catch up on all these things we're about to talk about. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, oh. But anyways, so, but he's also made a comeback you know, in, in the church anyways, mm-hmm. where uh, the church has said, you've got to study the man. It doesn't make sense not to. That's right. Yeah. Um, uh, former Pope Benedict uh, was a huge Thomistic thinker, yeah. uh, very much inspired by him. And uh, I know you've, not read any of his his stuff. I can almost guarantee that. Right, but uh, I know he was a prolific writer. Yes, prolific. And and I know you guys admire the daylights out of Benedict. Yes, very much so. Um, He is one of those great thinkers. Uh, He's a theologian first and foremost, and he'll say that. Yes, yes. Uh, But a philosopher, too. Yes. Yes, If you read his... um, it ended up being his seminal work, probably, even though he, he was upset to become Pope because he wanted to write a, his own Summa. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he wrote uh, a three-part uh, uh, book, uh, trilogy on uh, on the life of Christ. The Jesus uh, of Nazareth. Jesus yeah. of Nazareth books. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. And I remember when I'm reading the, the beginning of the first one, and there's just note after note after note, 
And I'm, you know, at the time I didn't recognize it because I wasn't as well versed as I am now. But looking back, it's like, oh my God, that is so Thomistic because it is every sentence is packed full of meaning. Right. Yet it is so understandable. Yeah. And that's the thing that uh, people don't realize about both. So if you want a modern example of what a good Thomist would be, somebody who's understandable, uh, as sorry, now granted, he doesn't. Uh, didn't write on much that wasn't church related so not everybody's going to read that but the style is the same it's understandable it's well thought out it's reasoned uh-huh. and yet it is so packed full yeah. of meaning it's multi-leveled yeah it, it's kind of like watching a bugs bunny cartoon yeah there's the kids stuff that you're seeing yeah and hearing and then there's the adult stuff that is operating above and below that's right yeah. Yeah. And we're going off the rails, but I'll just Pope Benedict was the Bugs Bunny of theology. That's what I just said. <laughs> Holy mackerel! That's that's pretty. That's pretty profound. I there, can't sir. believe I just said that. It's the bourbon. Got to be. Does he see that as his way of being a shepherd of the flock? Is, oh, absolutely. Is to be the intellectual. Oh yeah, that's the door he comes in through. Yeah, yeah. and that's because that's who he is. Yeah. That's part of it. Yeah, but I mean, that's also one of the reasons he was elected too, because a, people saw that a as a strength. Flip, yeah, Francis is more of a pastor. Yes, yes, he's he's very pastoral, and Much Benedict more is more of an elect, intellectual. intellectual. Yes. That's right. Not that we're saying Francis is not smart. That's correct. Not at Don't all. Don't think no, that, listeners. Just, no, that's a, not what we're saying. A, a different approach. That's right. They, they come through different the doors papacy. to right. do that. And as the church every, has to be as all every of that. pope does. That's yes, correct. They they all have their that. preferred. Uh, you know, it's like you you live in a mansion. It's all one mansion, but they prefer certain rooms. That's just the way it goes. Yeah. You know? And that's yeah. and that's the beauty of it because it's. A different facet of the diamond. Each papacy has its own charism. That's probably the best yeah. word to work with it. Charism meaning that that special talent or gift that's that right. is to be given to the rest of the flock. That's exactly it. That's right. And it changes every time. And it's the mind of the church thinking, "Wait, we need a little of this now. We need a little of that now." And, uh, and, and that's the a good flock thing. Needs all of those things. That's correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. None of, because need- we don't think. As either or. Nothing is an either or proposition. We never think that way. It's always both and. Right. Very you, you important. Need, you need intellectual underpinnings. You need to feed that reason need that all of us have as That's humans. Right. We also need to feed the poor. And you need to feed the pastoral caring. That's right. Mm-hmm. I can take put my arm around your shoulder and... That's right. Walk with you. Hope, yes, that's, walk those, with you. that's one of his words, yeah. Yes. Accompaniment. So, wow. Okay, we just discussed the nature of the papacy, too. Yeah, we did. <laughs> All right, so I got two, two last things, and then we have to wrap this oh, up. Oh, yes. Let's All right, so, um, you know, tie this into Tony Robbins. Oh, really? Yes. Bugs Bunny and Tony Robbins. Bugs Bunny Holy and shit. Tony Robbins. And Benedict. Wow. <clears throat> Francis. So, Whoa. Yes. Well, so, um, Thomas Aquinas is very much, uh, he exemplifies this in what he wrote and he talked, because you know, he talked about the, the individual as well as the state. A good person is in a good citizen, not necessarily being the same thing. Right. Because a good citizen of Nazi Germany is not necessarily a good person. And just as a you know, prime example. It's a good example. But, um, you know, it, it was, I'm trying to think of the best way to put this, um, we like certainty and uncertainty. You, you just talked about that. Yes. Well, like like both uns- and, yeah. It's both and. Yeah. We like to know that we are safe. Yeah. We also like to know sometimes it's, you know, it takes a little bit of risk. You know? There's a little danger sometimes. Right. You know, we want to be with our loved one. You know, uh, love, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder, but also um, you know, out of sight, out of mind. 
You know, as we are creatures of dichotomy. Yeah. Not that it's evil. Well, there's that word again. Damn it's it. we, both and. We seem to use that word almost every single episode. Yes. Now, we've grown to be very young again, it sounds like. Oh, wow. Yeah, very good. Very Thank good. you, Niles Crane. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so we've dropped another name in here. Write that down as another episode. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So, we need to go back to the beginning. Always go back to the first principle. So, Thomas Aquinas, he was Dominican. Okay. Right? So, so Dominican... You- and a Franciscan, or a, uh, not a Franciscan, a uh, Jesuit. Right. They were arguing one day about which order was the best. Right. And the Dominican said, well, you know, our order was founded to fight the Albigensians. Uh, or actually, I don't think, that, I think that was the Franciscans. It was a different one for the uh, Dominicans. But, no, uh, I think, no, I think, I think it's right. It was the yeah, Albigensians. Right. Right. Okay. Albigensians. 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 I believe that's correct. And the Jesuits said, um, hmm, well, we were founded to fight the, the, the Protestants. I was like, really? Hmm. And you think you were better? So, well, yes. Well, haven't seen many uh, Albigensians lately, have you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he's here all week, ladies and yes. gentlemen. <laughs> tip your server. Tip your servers, that's right. All right, so gentlemen, that was a fantastic episode. I loved doing that. Very much so. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Thanks for being with us here every week at Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Be sure to spread the word on your social media accounts. Follow us and retweet us. We are on Instagram and on Twitter at Snakes and Otters. Let your friends know that they can find us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. Just search Snakes and Otters Podcast to find us. And please, remember to leave us your comments and reviews. It helps people find us. And you can always send us an email at snakesandotterspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Martin. I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Catch us next week. Same snake time, same otter channel. <laughs>